Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast with your host, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. Today, we're delving into NFL rehabilitation, specifically focusing on ACL recovery with Miami Dolphins' very own captain, Alec Ingold. Join us as we explore the unique challenges and successes of ACL rehab in the NFL with Alec sharing his very own personal journey. This episode dives into ACR rehabilitation protocols, the collaboration between athletes and sports physical therapists, and the use of cutting-edge techniques to expedite recovery timelines. Whether you're a football enthusiast, aspiring sports physical therapist, or intrigued by injury recovery in professional sports, this episode offers valuable insights into the intersection of elite athleticism and sports physical therapy. Tune in for an enlightening and inspiring conversation with Alec Ingold. Super excited to have Alec Ingold, the captain of the Miami Dolphins, with us today. Um, Alex, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Oh, um, pleasure, man. I'm I'm excited to talk. You know, we've been talking about anytime I'm talking in the media right now, it's Tyreek, Tua, Dolphins, and now we get to talk rehab, efficient yeah. body movements, ACL yeah. recovery. Are you kidding me? Let's go. Let's go. Um, I, I knew you would be awesome. Um, and you know, we got a couple of connections in common, one being Colin Thompson. Um, one of the best people that I think we've ever met. I, I think definitely one of the best people I've ever met. So I'm excited to get to know you a little bit more through this process. Um, you bring up the ACL and that is a passion of mine and, and of our entire audience of sports PT. So let's rewind a little bit to Raiders Chiefs 2021. You tear your ACL. Walk me through that injury, what it felt like when it happened. Yeah, so that's about two years to the day almost, right? Like it's heart of November. Um, I remember a Sunday night football game. The Raiders just, we come off a bye week and they just resod the field, brand new footing. Everyone's excited for it. We're slipping around. We're kind of going through that kit and caboodle a little bit. So um, change out the cleats, go out for, for the game. And we're really competitive the first quarter, I would say. We cover a punt. And now I'm the special teams captain over at the Raiders at this time, covering a punt, really excited. But I get hemmed up a little bit at the line, right? So I'm I'm working. I'm a little bit out of position. And in order to get back into my coverage lane, I kind of have to go and fight to get out to my right side, right? So I'm working and I'm kind of running left to right on a little bit of a bend. And the returner makes a little juke move, right? So as soon as I'm kind of rounding this turn, I, I have some body presence over my right shoulder. I plant on my right foot, trying to make a turn to go back left, maybe even a little bit more to lose ground. And my knee gives out. Uh, and I do the stereotypical, you just tore your ACL twirl, holding the knee. Um, I heard that pop, knew something bad had happened. I've felt pops and cracks and everything like that before on the football field. So in the back of my head, I'm just praying that we're going to be all right. Docs come out on the field and within a few seconds, they do that first, um, first test and they, it, it's, it's going to be an ACL. So I walk off the field with them, go to the blue tent. We confirm it. I hop over to the, um, the little cart that they have for us. And I'm crying a little bit because it's a contract year. I'm a captain. Everything's going right. Sunday night football, a lot of heightened emotions for that game. And I know that there's going to be a whole heck of a lot of uncertainty, no coaching staff returning, don't know what my future is going to be holding. So really emotional, um, not so you're, much the physical pain. You're but, thinking um, about all that stuff in that tent. 
immediately because wow. I, I knew what was at stake. Right. And like, that's something where as an athlete, you're willing to sacrifice and play with all those risks. But when you know, snap of the fingers, everything changes, man, it kind of hits you like a wall. So definitely wasn't feeling too much physical pain as much as the emotional um, head inside for some x-rays just to make sure no bone bruises or anything like that. And then um, started that rehab process right shortly after. So um, yeah, man, that, that ACL injury, I think that was kind of the day of, and, and those emotions and physical kind of nature of that injury. And what happens the next few days? Next few days is really just trying to determine, okay, how bad is this thing really? How yep. are we going to, we're going to get pictures. The MRIs is an MCL included is an isolated ACL, which was my um, situation, no meniscus. Um, so you, I kind of lucked out lucky, on a couple. You are a lucky bastard. I, I was taking all my vitamins and minerals. And so I, the nutritionist gave me some strong tendons there, yeah. um, being able to make sure that it was just that isolated ACL tear. You're trying to figure out, is the team doctor going to do it? Are we going to go out somewhere else and get this done? What's that rehab process looking like? Um, you're trying to rehab a little bit, right, to get the quad strength back and make sure that you're as prepared for that surgery as possible. Um, but those next few days is really just logistics coming to, to wraps with what just happened and um, kind of planning your your path forward, so to speak, so that um, you can kind of figure out what that rehab process is going to look like for you. Yeah, you mentioned the surgeon. Um, that is such a hot topic um, for, for the sports PTs. What went into choosing your surgeon? Who did you eventually go with? Yeah, so a number of things, right? Are you going to do um, the patellograph? Are you going to do you know, a cadaver, you're going to do the hamstring, double helix, whatever. And you're, you're trying to talk to former teammates, former players that you've played with, try and gather as much information as possible. And when we figured out we we're going to go um, patella, then we decided to go with uh, Neil Elitraj out in LA, one of the best to do it with mm -hmm. that specific um, surgery. I felt like the isolated ACL tear, that would have been the, the best way to move forward in my career at that point, being three years in. Um, and just our injury, it just seemed like that was the best path forward. So you're talking to your agents, you're talking to family members, you're talking to coaches, teammates, just trying to figure out what's best for you and your knee and your body. Um, so once we finally got, co uh, Dr. Elitraj on the phone, um, decided to go with him and fly out to LA and get that, that surgery done the day after Thanksgiving. Okay. So that's, that's how far out of injury. That was about two to three weeks, right? And so what, you, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, what did your knee look like before surgery? Um, it, it looked pretty pretty solid. Like you get a lot of that swelling out. You're, you're trying to um, get a good solid range of motion working at that point. Um, so I felt like I had to really attack those first two, two and a half weeks to try and give myself the best chance to go out of that operating room um, to be able to you know, make sure we're as good as possible. There was still a little bit of a question mark on um, what was going to happen with my meniscus. Uh, that was like a little bit they could see on the MRI. And it was just like, once we get in there, we'll kind of make that decision when it comes. So I remember getting out of that surgery room and, and like all fogged up. I'm like, does the meniscus, did they touch yeah. the meniscus? Like I, I yeah. needed to know if I was uh, load bearing or not right after. And, and thankfully we were able to just lay that back down. Meniscus was fine and intact. And we just went with that isolated ACL uh, reconstruction. So that was that was my first two to three weeks after after that unfateful 
day uh, in Las Vegas. Now, why didn't you use your team surgeon? I just felt like with everything presented in front of me, um, that was going to be one of the best possible avenues forward. Um, now, I did my entire rehab with the, the team and the club. But when it came to that specific surgery, uh, we just with um, Dr. Elitraj's track record, the amount of guys that he went through, uh, just the, the surgeon and the surgery itself, we just felt like that would be the best case moving forward. And the fact that it was only a 30 to 40 minute flight from Vegas to L.A. felt like all those check ins and everything like that would be logistically handled pretty easily um, so I could be with my team out in Vegas. This is always interesting to me. Do you, did you feel any type of conflict of interest to have a team employee mm. take a camera and put it in your knee and look what's going on? Yeah, I think that's a, like you said, it's a hot button topic and it's like, who do you trust and who do you not trust and how many second opinions do you want and all of that moving forward. I think in my circumstance, um, in my, re my personal relationship with our staff, with the Raiders, I had the utmost trust in whatever decision we made moving forward. Now, that's not the case for everyone else. Sometimes they're like, hey, we're going to duct tape whatever we can and, and put it put you back out there. We're going to go the cheapest route, whatever the organization priorities really are. Thankfully, with my time at the Raiders and the relationships that you build um, with my circumstance and my situation, it felt like the communication was crystal clear. We're going to give you the, every opportunity for you to be a better football player after this injury than before. And that's kind of what gave me peace of mind to say, whoever's looking at my knee, wh wherever these pictures are at, whatever second opinions, I know that everyone's going to be as clear, as open in that communication process so we can make the best decision. Um, and I know that sounds like a really politically correct answer, but it does. that's truly how I felt, right? Yeah. Like that's, that it was, I got really lucky with the team in uh, the organization supporting me in that way. Um, so I definitely count my blessings to have that type of experience because I know from talking to a lot of other players, that is not always the case. Um, so yeah, man, I was really lucky to have, have that situation happen the way it did. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a hot topic. Um, I totally see more of the opposite of what you just said, where the doc, I mean, as altruistic as they are, the name on the bottom of their paycheck is associated with Oakland Raiders or the Vegas Raiders, right? So if that's the case, it just it just gives me pause. It sounds like you knew enough to ask, um, but you were confident with the answers you got. And you're right. That is an anomaly. Um, I think it is a hole in the system. I, I think I think that system is broken now. When I look at it, when I look across pro sports, it's interesting because the NFL has solved that problem with concussions. They have a third party, right? Why don't we have a third party looking at musculoskeletal injuries to say, I don't, I don't care about the Vegas Raiders. I don't care about Alec Ingold. I don't care who it is. I just, I'm a physical therapist or I'm a, I'm a surgeon. Let me consult and say, yeah, this is an ACL. This is what I would do. And I have no skin in the game. Uh, do you know of any moves towards that? Uh, I think just speaking from personal experience, I do think that agents and their relationships with um, athletic trainers, as well as outside information and the, the availability of um, those second opinions is extremely important because yeah. when you're able to 
have an agent that's in place that can communicate like that third party, right? They're representing my best interest as an athlete, but at the same time, they have personal relationships with the front office. They have personal relationships with coaches. They have personal relationships with trainers, surgeons, everyone around you. So that's where I kind of was lucky in my agent being able to take all of that communication and see a clear path forward. Now, a lot of guys sign with agents that, man, they're going to get as much marketing deals as they possibly can. Now, when you get hurt, how is that going to affect, you know, there's a give and a take there. So um, when you're talking about muscular skeletal injuries or an athlete trying to be the best version of themselves, it, it is tough to see when you have to sacrifice or make a choice or make concessions based on your health, Mm -hmm. right? Like as an athlete, you shouldn't be in the middle of this power and control between a union and the owners, right? Like it should just be how healthy can we get? So, um, no, I think agents are a big part of that. If you get an agent that has a lot of communication skills with a number of those parties, I think that's what mitigates the risk in saying, Oh, Alec is making a selfish decision based on his health. And no, we can communicate this openly. And if one doctor's diagnosis doesn't exactly line up with the others, all right, where is this gray area coming from and being able to problem solve from there? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you really thought through that. Did you talk to any PTs? You mentioned you spoke to um, other surgeons, you spoke to other players that have been through it, et cetera. You ever talk to PTs about, hey, what do you see from these surgeons? Yeah. So I didn't really talk to any other PTs um, during, but Mm -hmm. once I got released from the Raiders, so kind of moving forward a little bit, I have this ACL injury, coaches, front office, all moves on from the Raiders. We had a bunch of scandals that year. It was a nightmare of adversity for the guys. Make the playoffs, end up um, clearing house, and I'm left on the street for a couple weeks, right? So I can't walk. I'm through my ACL situation. I'm a free agent and the new staff that comes in decides not to retain me as a, as a player. Now there's a week or two of this, this waiting period on if I can go in, like who, what team I'm going to go on to during free agency. So during those two weeks, I can't go to the facility. I can't get the same treatment rehab that I have been doing in house. And that's where, um, I was recommended a, a PT that was the personal PT to Darren Waller, a number of players out and around the, the Vegas community. Uh, Zachy Afsal is is one of the best PTs that I've been around where he's very, uh, how do I put it? He takes every single patient like you're supposed to and you, you diagnose the entire movement structure, right? So if I'm feeling pain in my knee, all right, is that your foot tightness? Is that your back tightness? Works all the way through that um, to really diagnose what's going on. So he was a guy that I really leaned on outside of the facility, outside of the NFL, um, to really help me move and be as efficient as possible through that rehab process. So that was kind of my first exposure to uh, outside help uh, from the league, from uh, facilities in, in dealing with my ACL. Yeah. Um, and and you're seeing that more and more. It's been interesting. You know, I'm on the outside. I'm not affiliated with an organization. And it used to be that the guys who would find me that, that play professional sports were the vets. Um, they're guys who've been around for a while and, and, you know, they asked around and who's decent and et cetera. I'm starting to see rookies. I'm starting to see post-op stuff where they're going to do their ACL rehab with me on the outside. I feel like it's becoming more and more popular um, to kind of have that team. And I think that's super important. 
um, I would say, you know, to all the sports PTs listening and probably all the athletes listening, you got to talk to a sports PT or someone who's doing the rehab from all these different surgeons. It's nuts. Our ability to see a knee walk in a patient with a, with a knee surgery. I can tell you who did that surgery, like before they lay on the table because they all look the same. Right. So that's a great way to begin to build your name. And as an athlete, Alec, I would say now that you have Zachy, you can talk to Zachy and say, Hey, what surgeon is worthwhile or what PT even is worthwhile. Um, I think there's a lot of gold there. You mentioned talking about choosing your graft, um, type and selection. And you, you went with BTB, which is the gold standard. I would have been shocked if you did anything else. Did anyone talk to you about an LET and like giving yourself a seatbelt on the outside of that knee and working on that ligament? No. Okay. So I think that's a future of, of ACL work. Um, I worked with probably the third NFL player to have this LET with his ACL. And it's just like, bolting down this ligament on the outside lateral of the knee to make it more stable. Have you, have you seen it on other guys? Have you heard of, about this stuff? No, I haven't. I haven't heard of, of that at all. No, it's okay. the first time I'm hearing of it. Okay. Well, it's out there and I highly recommend you listen to our entire pod that talks <laughs> just about the LET um, and its import, but okay. So you just do BTB. That's the only damage to your knee. How quickly do you start rehab? Yeah. So, you know, obviously you're, you're in the hotel for about a week, right? So I'm out in Marina Del Rey. Uh, they put me up and sounds I'm just, terrible. that sounds, yeah, hard. it was, it was tough. It was, <laughs> it was so hard. Um, just doing the range of motion, right? That, that um, passive range of motion machine. I'm on that thing three times a day, taking all my supplements, doing everything I can until I can meet with uh, one of the PTs out there, start doing quad sets after a week. Yeah. Uh, once I was able to spend that week out, with Dr. Elitraj, uh, get the dressings removed, start to, to feel like myself again. After a week, then I flew back to Vegas and really started um, rehab. And that was quad sets that's sitting on the table. That's um, all of the basic movement patterns that you need to kind of go block by block by block um, before you can really um, start moving again. So we would always sit down with our PT uh, on the tables and we discuss, okay, this is your sheet. This is what we're doing today. And this is what your next three weeks are going to look like. This is the block. This is what we need to accomplish. This is how you, the biology of the rehab process of your body needs to catch up with your mental. And I know you want to do all of these things right now. You want to be super aggressive. This is what we're working on for these next three weeks. And we're going to master it before we can move on to this next block. So that's kind of how my rehab process started off uh, out in Vegas. And you, he put you in a CPM. That's the machine you're talking about. That's just, yep. okay. Um, and that's that is not uniform not all guys get that um it's actually a little bit old school but it sounded like it helped you a bunch um why do you wait a week to see a therapist uh, i'm sorry like we were seeing the therapist throughout right that week that i was there okay. um but until the dressings were removed and i'm on that cpm machine which was very old school i'm glad you yeah. brought that up because it looked like it was from the 70s like yeah but it was moving it, it helped me out a lot um, but yeah, once I could get those quad sets rolling and we could actually get some sort of movement, um, with actively, um, exercising my knee and in my leg, straightening it, um, you know, that's where I was able to, after that week with that trainer, with the PT, um, get the dressings removed to, to fly out to Vegas. Okay. So now you come back to Vegas is, are you working with the same physical therapist every single time? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I was assigned one 
physical therapist. Um, and that's where the personal connection really locks in, right? You're, you're able to see the progress from day to day, week to week, the ebbs and flows of, are you feeling good? Are you not understanding the tone of voice with how you answer questions? The um, attention to detail, I think is extremely important. And that's what I loved so much about having that singular uh, PT consistent throughout that, that first initial uh, rehab process. Alec, this is a tutorial in how to be a good physical therapist because you didn't mention the guy's um, certifications. You didn't mention who he's worked with. You mentioned that he's reading or she is reading the way you're responding, um, your intonations, your overall demeanor and making decisions based on that. That's exactly what an outstanding sports PT should be. Again, having worked with guys in the NFL, you are so lucky because that does not exist in a lot of organizations. So I'm thrilled you got it there in Vegas. Um, at that moment, let's say you're in that first stage, you're trying to get your range of motion. I'm sure you had some expectations of what rehab would look like. What was different about what actually happened? The difference for me in what actually happened was like, man, I thought as soon as I would be able to do one thing, we're moving on to the next. One of the biggest things the PT and I talked about was you can't cheat biology. You can't speed up biology. You can't, you can't go past any of these little details because as soon as you miss a single thing that you aren't perfecting right now, it's going to show its face down the road six months from now, seven months from now. So just being that, that ultimate diligent and disciplined version of showing up every day as little and as minute, especially in the front end with all of those movements and having full control before moving on to that next uh, stage. I think that was the biggest change for me in an ACL rehab versus, man, I, I just need to start feeling better because I sprained my ankle and now I can go play football again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so having been through that and developing the relationship with your PT in Vegas, what else was outstanding about that care that you think other sports PTs should know? I think there was a balance in like the expectation and the standard that we had set throughout the rehab process, like I need to show up and I need to give just as much as a PT is giving, right? This is a relationship and you're building something together. So they're just as accountable as I am where uh, there's a standard that has been set. There's an expectation that's set when you're showing up, this is the work we're putting in both in the room and out of the room. There's things you can and can't do. And that's something that we're gonna commit to ourselves together. Now on that same token, once you build that, uh, when I felt like dog crap, right? Like yep. I felt terrible to be able to understand those moments where we can pull back and just make yourself feel good and just make yourself, maybe we're just going to do grass in today, or maybe we're just going to go lean off of things. We have a sheet, but you've been so consistent for these past three, four weeks. I know you're doing everything right. If your body's feeling bad, man, we're not going to push it. We're going to wait till tomorrow. We're going to show up and we're going to attack it again today. So um, being able to balance that I think was extremely important um, because my mental health was just as important as my physical health throughout that, that, marathon that we were going to to get back onto the field um so that was a big thing for me yeah um that that's awesome advice um how long were these sessions i mean they could be anywhere from you know an hour to two hours uh depending on how long you're on the the training table that day and then how long you had exercises to do and i was going to be a person that wasn't gonna try and get out right away or be on my phone the whole time like when we're here it's intentional work. So I knew that when it's time was over, the time was over. So it almost helped like, man, we're not going to do a four hour session where you're on your phone half the time, you're going to take a call, you're going to leave, and then you're going to come back. 
Like when it was time to work, you only got an hour or two hours to get better that entire day. And the other 22 hours are yours. And that's kind of how um, it allowed for a lot of accountability in those sessions. Was that Alec Ingold being Alec Ingold? Or was that the Raiders or the Raiders PT saying, dude, here's how we're going to work? I think it was a combination of both. And that's what I needed. Um, I think one big thing when I was talking to a lot of other guys is what I need as a person, as Alec Ingold, isn't going to work for every other PT. It's not going to work for every other situation. So Mm -hmm. um, being able to combine that or have an open line of communication on the front end to set those standards and expectations, I think that helped us build a good working relationship that um, brought us closer together throughout uh, the rest of the, the rehab time. I mean, dude, you're a fullback. So the fullbacks that I've worked with are nose to the grindstone. Like they're right. they're walking through walls, right? How do I get um, a prima donna off of his phone to focus? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's a conversation you have. Like, if you want the best out of me, I'm gonna need the best out of you. And like putting it kind of the ball in in a an athlete's court or challenging an athlete, you challenge an athlete, like I, the one player I would think that you would, you would imagine on the outside looking in on our team would be like Tyree kill is probably on all of his phones. He's got a million different business deals. You challenge that dude. He is going to out, he's going to outwork you. He's going to out discipline you. It doesn't matter. So being able to challenge an athlete and not being afraid of how they view you. Cause like you have your standards and you have your ways of working. Like if it's going to work, it's going to work. And being able to have those those conversations on the front end, all athletes are competitive, man. And nobody wants to feel like, oh, I'm just kind of going through the motions or I'm going to really mess myself up later. So the earlier you can set those standards and expectations, and as soon as you aren't missing them, you can go back and be like, dude, we talked about this. Like this is a conversation that we had. Um, and I feel like those are those are solid ways when I see guys on the table when they're having bad days or good days um, to be able to lock back in and be like, okay, let's let's find a way to get better today. I know you do a lot of public speaking. I know you do a lot of charity work, Alec. I've done a deep dive on Alec Ingold in the last 48 hours. Um, You need to be talking to sports PTs because that is an awesome answer to, I think, a lot of the intimidation that exists out there to sports PTs that are like, I want to treat pros. Crap. I have a pro athlete. What do I do with this guy? Uh, I I mean, he's gold. It sounds like your answer in in terms of the best way to coach a pro athlete or rehab a pro athlete is to challenge them. Is that right? Challenge Challenge them, them, set expectations and standards. And if you're going to stay accountable to it, they got to stay accountable to it. Like it's a working relationship and making something any bigger than it has to be because it's a pro athlete or because of a tag, like you're doing a disservice to everyone in that relationship. Like Mm -hmm. we're all human beings. We all have the same goal. We're pushing in the same direction. Let's align ourselves and let's move forward. And if something's not working, I mean, you can't sacrifice as a PT your standard of work and your accountability because of someone else's circumstance. Like yeah. you can't can't do that. So um, being able to set that standard up front, I think it is a huge, a huge plus to anybody that can do that. Remember, um, part of a good rehab process is always challenging the athlete, but also challenging the tissue or challenging the goal. So it doesn't have to be that you put 300 pounds on on the athlete's back and force them to work like that maybe they can't get extension how do you challenge them to get their terminal extension they're sitting on the table it's just a quad set right but once they get that quad set first of all you make it 
today we're getting a quad set. Here's, here's how we're going to do it, et cetera. Once they get it, I think it's also important to celebrate that success. Freaking A, Alec. Like, look at that. Like, this is how your heel should pop up when you squeeze your quad. Great work. Now we can add on this. Or now, like you said, you got to own that. Um, so I think that's awesome advice to, to the sports PTs out there. Now, looking at your ACL rehab and your expectations of it, to me, I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but I think the concept for a lot of people is this is Adrian Peterson. Like, he's going to be back on the field at six months, and he's going to look like a freak, and he's going to run for 1,500, 2,000 yards, six months post-op. Um, we, we've moved a little bit away from that, but usually there are some setbacks. There are some hurdles you got to get over. It's not smooth sailing. What kind of setbacks smooth sail are um, not things that weren't smooth did you face in your rehab? I think one of the biggest things was transitioning from the Raiders facility over to the Dolphins facility, right? Now, all of a sudden, the PT that I've been working with for however long is going to change. The daily mm -hmm. care is going to change. The the process is going to change. The Even the, the weather, you're right? Like you're going from a desert to uh, tropics. And mm -hmm. all of those things changed. Now, thankfully, I was, you know, 12-ish weeks outside of, you know, my rehab process and both teams, clubs, PTs communicated extremely open with one another. So it wasn't left to me to translate where I'm at and how I'm yeah. doing. Right. So a lot of things went into that transition, but at the same time, philosophies changed. Like now it's, it's time to get back onto the football field. It's time to start moving. It's time to start um, ramping up this aggressiveness on, on your rehab. So being able to communicate with all three parties because it went from the Raiders to Zachy from outside of the building because I was out for two weeks to the Dolphins, those teams coming together and communicating on behalf of me, the athlete, was massive. Yeah. But I, I think that was a huge, huge setback, so to speak, in um, care and treatment in the day-to-day -day routines that I'd already built, the standard that I had set, what I'm eating, when I'm eating, the, the fluids that I'm intaking, it all changed. Right. So embracing that change and kind of leaning into it is not my forte. And that was something I was kind of forced into um, and might have caused for some struggles early on. Uh, it caused for a little bit of a hamstring soft tissue issues um, later on in that rehab process. But uh, again, you kind of. I think a, a big part of that whole rehab process was understanding it's not going to be perfect. And mm -hmm. when those bumps and hurdles show up, we knew it was going to happen anyways. Now, how can we move forward and not make this little strained hamstring any bigger than it needs to be, right? Yeah. Like we're not going to blow this thing out of the water and freak out because it wasn't perfect. We knew it wasn't going to be perfect. Here's the little obstacle that we're going to have to go through, and this is how we're going to do it. So that approach was big for me. Nitty gritty, how they address that. First of all, what led to uh, some hamstring discomfort and how did you beat it? I think it, it was just – Maybe it was overcompensation. Maybe it was different usage. Maybe it was patterns that I wasn't used to um, really working through. And really, it just it came down to just shutting down a lot of the explosive ladder movements, the, the sprints, the, um, the things that we were doing right then and there for the ACL. It was time to cool it off a little bit to let the whole body just recalibrate, uh, make sure that my, my hips were adjusted and aligned the right way, um, and really working from the ground up to make sure when we go back, we're 100% healthy, and we're not going to be trying to push through ACL rehab while your hamstring's bothering you a little bit. Like, that's not going to help anything. So having to understand, okay, this might take a week or two longer. It might take a month longer. Whatever, it's going to slow you down in the long run. You want to make sure that you're fully healthy while 
um, you're getting back to the field. What was the biggest difference between the Miami approach versus the Vegas approach? I think the really big one was uh, I thought that I was out of the woods on the BFR with the Raiders. And You're then never out I, of I, no, no, it was uh, right back into the woods uh, with the Dolphins. So, um, no, like I said, once you kind of got out of that 12 week block and you can start ramping up the, you know, that things are solid. The biology in your knee is, is stable at this point. And now we can really start movement is exactly when I transitioned out from the Raiders to the Dolphins. So, the philosophies really changed because it was like, all right, we're going to make sure that your knee is as health, healthy as possible, your movement, your range of motion, you're balanced, you're coordinated. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we're going into this performance aspect. How can you yeah. move? How can you bend? How can you be able to utilize um, different creative ways um, to make sure that you're, you're being a football player again? Yeah. Did you, did you have any anterior knee pain? You have any patellar tendon pain? Um. I think it came and went. I never yeah. felt like it was uh, it was consistent or anything like that. Um, so when it when it popped up, you know, it was like, all right, we're going to do TKEs. We're gonna make sure that we're not, you know, I didn't get a massage on that patella tendon every single day, right? You didn't want to to really hamstring that, but uh, at the same time, it was it was soreness that was for me to kind of work through and understand and, and um, find different ways to prep before the workouts and before the rehab so that I'd give myself a chance to, to continue to, to make sure that they were efficient um, sessions. Yeah. Um, did you get into any knees over toes and trying to load specifically that patellar tendon? Yep. Did a lot of knees over toes. And that was kind of transitioning in that transition period, that 10 to 14 weeks. Um, and then carrying that through, doing all of the duck walks, doing um, through the, the hurdles, over the hurdles, that, those types of things. So definitely took a little of the knee over toes. Um, Awesome. YouTube. I, I got a YouTube degree out of, out of knees over toes. So it was good. I bet. And, and when's the first time, when's the first time you ran? I probably ran or jogged maybe I was like eight to 10 weeks out. Okay. So uh, I was still in that Raiders facility when I remember um, running in a straight line for the first time. Yeah. And when did you start jumping? When did you do a box jump? Um, That's a good question. I would say probably 10 to 12 weeks um, after, after I think. Yeah. Okay. Answer this for me. A box jump is you just moving up to a box, right? It's just a concentric movement. Running is concentric and eccentric, right? It, it's actually like a higher level movement. So was there any thought like, dude, shouldn't I be doing box jumps before I run? I think what came down to was we were running in the HydroWorks pool. We we're running on the Alter G. So the movement pattern was already being worked on and, and making sure that everything was straight, stable, and you're working through that process. Now, when you're balancing or doing different um, activities leading up to the box jump, I felt mm -hmm. like, how do I put this? I felt like the there was such a, a more natural transition or gradual rise to running in a straight line versus, all right, now we're going to box jump. Yep. I felt like it wasn't as sudden of like a movement that I had to learn or trust with my whole body. So I think mm -hmm. that's probably the way or reason why we did what we did. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Any um, testing that they're doing during this period, um, force plates, tin deck, um, how are they measuring your progress? Yeah, a lot of it was... Um, man, just, I forget the, the 
machine that they would put on my leg to make sure that I could use similar force in each leg. Um, wasn't, we didn't have force plate jumps or anything like that, but I do remember, um, right on the patella tendon or, um, right below your knee, mm-hmm. um, trying to, um, force as much as you can straighten your leg out as, as hard as you can pulling back, um, hamstring curling it, yep. um, and seeing the the deficiencies. I remember one of the first times I did, it was like literally 33%. And I'm like, yep. well, I have, I literally have like 33% of my, my patella is gone right now. So it was pretty funny to see that. That's yeah. It's like right on the money. So I imagine that's somewhat discouraging. It's easy to look back and smile. Now, how did you handle the mental health side of this then? writing a book was one thing I knew that one way to um, do it. Yeah, that was one way to do it. I, I needed to find a purpose in the rehab process and needed to determine a goal. So right from the jump, I decided I want to be a better fullback after this injury than before. So regardless of the results that would happen, and it's, it's hard to take that medicine, right? You feel like you're making so much progress and then you get measured and you're like, damn, there's such a big discrepancy in my strength and my balance. You're like, what's going on? And you, you freak out. But uh, one of the big things that I had learned and heard was controlling your thoughts after the thought. So you get a result. The knee jerk reaction is always going to be like self-doubt, self-pity. I feel bad for myself, but controlling that second thought. How are you going to respond from that situation? How are you going to take that information and use it for something good? So fighting that mental battle, I I think it's like a muscle. Like it's not, it doesn't get any easier, but the more that you do it, um, you're able to kind of find silver linings throughout the the adverse moments. So getting those bad results, like, should that be expected? Yeah, it probably should be expected. So why am I freaking out about it so much? Why am I wasting so much emotional energy on that? So uh, I found Ryan Holiday's books really helpful. A lot of stoicism. Uh, fell into a lot of that philosophy, just um, staying consistent. And that's kind of where if I was able to zoom out, right, and be in my telescope a little bit more than my daily microscope, I was able to see, okay, we are making progress. Like there is proof in the pudding. There, I can't just freak out about this one day and this one rep and this one moment. I can just zoom out and be like, okay, we're, we're building towards something. Controlling the thought after the thought. I, I'm assuming you got that from Holiday. That is a stoic principle. Um, anything else you were diving into at this time to help what's between your ears? Um, I needed a lot of faith. I know uh, I'm a religious guy. I'm, ca- I'm a Catholic guy. So mm-hmm. um, faith was a big thing for me. Um, habits and routines were big. Nutrition was massive. So I was getting um, blood work done. And it wasn't just like, am I healthy or not? Like, what are my biomarkers reading um, to be as efficient as possible? Um and then it was like, yeah, it was a lot of that self-help books. It was, it was a lot of Ryan Holiday. So I had a lot of time getting treatment done. So I'd read, I'd read everything I could. I read um, anything from Ryan Holiday to um, shoot. Now I'm going to draw a blank. The Steelers linebacker that um, was paralyzed from the, the hit that he took, um, read his book. There, there's a number of different books and, and metaphors and just – understanding that I was able to move towards, um, through that injury for sure. Yeah. Um, that's powerful stuff. Um, Shazier, right? Ryan Shazier. Yep. Yeah. Um, that that's great stuff. And I think too often and, and I'm, I'm guilty of it for sure. Cause I always used to say, I don't treat above the neck. Like that's that I didn't go to school for that, but you better believe a good sports PT is treating above the neck constantly. 
Um, so, so that's gold. I love that you were into the blood work and, and understanding the nutritional side. I have this conversation, really, it shows up a lot with the prep school athlete, especially in the female population where that they're just not getting enough nutrition to lay down new healthy muscle tissue. You could lift all you want. If you're not getting enough protein, it, you're, it's not going to help. Um, and so I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of value of like, like we always say, control the controllables. There's so much you can control that we just let go by the wayside. Um, when are you cutting? When did you get back to cutting? Um, that was definitely while I was at the dolphin. So I want to say probably four or five months, um, I was able to actually cut, um, were you terrified? Oh yeah. It was like, it was one of those things, like the first time you go through it, you're, you're kind of like dipping your toe into the water. And then you have that conversation with, with the PT and everybody else. And it's like, at some point you have to make that mental jump of trusting yourself before just letting your body just ease into it. Right. And once I was able to make that mental switch of like, okay, my knee's good. I'm feeling good. Just go be an athlete and move around and don't think about it. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we were able to kind of move forward a little bit faster. And it was yeah. like, it was like a switch flip. It's like, okay, yeah. I can do all these things. You're telling me I can do all of these things. Okay. Let me trust that and internalize that. And then let's go out and do it. And I think an awesome PT is developing a program to slowly show the athlete you can do this. You can do this because we did this drill. And, and sometimes that clicks for the athlete. And sometimes you got to explain it to them. Look, we just did this drill. We just did this ladder work. I had you plant that ACL knee or leg into the turf and develop force this way or that way. You've already done it. Let's just go put it together. Let's go, you know, go run a route. You've already done it. Um, sometimes that can like help that, that switch. Um, when are you back playing? I was back playing at like, seven and a half, eight months. So, um, I was a little earlier than, than the nine month deal, but training camp was coming up and, uh, I felt like I put myself in a position where you're doing all these athletic movements and drills. So you're going to start non-contact, but, uh, we all know a fullback is extremely hard to do. I was wearing a red non-contact jersey. And I was hitting the crap out of people and everyone's like, what, what are we doing are right doing? now? So, yeah. um, that, that was a, a quick return to play and I was able to start uh, week one that next year, which was pretty exciting. Hell yeah. Did you have to sign a waiver on your knee? I did not. No. Nice. Um, so, so that's pretty awesome. I, I've seen that a bunch where like players say they're ready and the, and the team's like, that's great, but just <laughs> sign let's this put thing. It in writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's sign this thing. So, so we're not responsible. Um, okay. So you're all the way back by week one and today, do you think about that knee? No, not at all. I think um, when I see other guys coming back from ACLs or anything like that, now that I'm um, two years out feeling like myself, don't think about it. I think that first year back this last season, I, it definitely took me a while. I would say yeah. it was a year and a half um, to really feel like myself again towards that middle of the season. It was sore. You had that uh, patella soreness, but um, a full off season of work and health and recovery and rejuvenation coming into OTAs in the season this year, I haven't thought twice about it. What did you keep up with that first year from your rehab or just to keep the knee right? Um, you know, TKEs all the time. A lot of the stabilization and activation exercises I'm doing every single day. Doesn't, and it just becomes a part of the routine, right? So whether it's TKEs, whether it's um, rear foot elevated, um, squats, different, you know, three-way, um, squats, you know, when you're doing, um, single leg lunges, 
all of those things just to activate all of those muscles in, in my legs, my lower back, um, my posterior chain. I feel like I'm, I'm working on all that stuff on a daily basis now just because it helps me feel better going into any practice or game. Yeah. When you say TKE, what's, what's that look like? Um, it's just, uh, you know, we're throwing a band around a, a little bar somewhere in the, in the weight room and um, just making sure I'm extending that, that knee as best I can and, and force uh, through that heel um, so that I'm able to kind of, you know, feel that, feel that extension and, and get everything started off that way. I, guess. I think we go to that as PTs. I think we go to that too early. I actually hate TKEs because I feel like athletes just use their freaking glutes and it's, it's hard to get them to focus on that. Um, but obviously it works for you. Um, you ever use electric stim still? You ever use BFR? Uh, we use BFR a little, almost every day. I used it today actually. Um, Doing what? Uh, just unloaded, just extensions of my leg of, you know, groin exercises, just a, a number of different ways to unload that, that physiological weight and um, allow for the body to feel stress in a number of different ways. We're on a bye week and it's a good way to not load up a bar and still feel like you're getting good work in. So um, yeah, I, I had a few exercises, four-way ankle, all that stuff, just touching on uh, a number of different things on that BFR is it's almost like my best friend right now. I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah, your best friend and your enemy. But that is, that's awesome that you kept up with that. You only keep up with that because of ACL, or is this part of the Dolphins world? Um, I think both. I think get, getting in there and being active in your health is really important. So, um, you know, whether you're asking for dry needling or you're asking for um, a number of different things in that facility, I think they're really active in, in allowing guys to. Oh, you're injured now you can come get some help and it's like no you got some of the healthiest guys in there getting work um you got fat arm friday and guys got two bfrs on each arm just trying awesome. to get swole so yeah um, i think it's a really good culture that they have here and um allowing guys to do whatever they need to to be at the best version of themselves that is awesome breaking that stigma of being in the training room as only guys who are hurt i obviously i'm biased but is monumental also Dolphins are ahead of the curve. That is not like that in every organization. That is, that's awesome. Any other technology um, or instruments that you use with the Dolphins while you're in the NFL that you think, hey, maybe this probably is not in your standard PT setting? Um, I think the dry needling that we do is, is definitely like attaching stem to it and mm -hmm. being able to really um, locate some of those deep tissues is something that I didn't see um, very often. I think the amount of BFR usage, it, they get creative with that thing now. Like they're awesome. going to use it for strengthening, for mobility. Um, but besides that, for, go ahead. Do you use it for recovery at all? Like are they taking oh, yeah. their own flights? Oh, yeah. Um, we I haven't hooked that up on a flight, but I know when we travel and we have our activation circuits and everything like that, uh, it's going to be a part of it. And uh, it's cool when you're playing a night game and you have a strength staff so in tune with the training staff to be able to – incorporate so many different movements to get your body right instead of sitting down in a hotel room for 18 hours before you're going to go play a game. So um, the communication between our strength staff and our training staff is um, it's, it's pretty impressive. That's, that's freaking awesome. Okay. So that is, wow. That's a lot of ACL talk. Let's talk about Alec Ingold and your path through the NFL. You get to Wisconsin and you're a quarterback. Do you, do you, do you have the best arm of any fullback in the league? 
I might, I, I'll put myself up there. I prove until proven otherwise. I mean, I think I can, I can throw that thing. Um, Love that. It is a little rusty right now, though. It, I will not. It's been eight years or so, so it's yeah. it's been a little bit. Watch out for Mike Burton's arm with the Broncos. Um, Mike Burton we, is an extreme athlete now. Okay, so well, that's I love that you said now because he would say he's always been an extreme athlete. So when I reached out to Mike Burton, I said, "Dude, I got this guy Alec Ingold. You ever heard of him?" He's like, "Yeah, I think he plays my position." I'm like, "Okay, wh- what uh, what should I ask him?" Mike Burton's um, question was, how is he such a freak? How would you answer that? How is Mike Burton such a freak? No, he would answer that easily. How is Alec Ingold such an athletic freak? I would say first off, I'm not. So, uh, second off, I think it's, uh, it's something to do with just, I'll, I'll go back to playing football, um, and wrestling that combination of sports, I think allows me to understand my body in space. Um, pretty well. So I, I'll say my spatial awareness, my balance is pretty good because of wrestling growing up. I wish you were going to go to baseball because I heard yeah, you played a little bit of baseball growing I up. I did. Yeah, I was little league all-star, man. Yeah, you, you were. You, you want me to close down a game? I got you. <laughs> That's clear. Okay. You are undrafted. In your pro day, you benched 225 how many times? It was like 16, 17 times. Yeah, I think it was less than that. Um, if if it was, let's say it was less than that. Um, you're one of the best fullbacks in the league. You barely hit 13 reps of 225. So let me ask you this. What would predict success in the NFL if you were putting together a combine? Power cleans. Power cleans. Hand cleans, it, maybe. Let's, let's hand clean 225 as many times as we can. Like... Your ankle, knee, hip explosion, your, your upper body flexibility to catch the bar, strength to withstand it. I think that would make a whole heck of a lot more sense. Hell yeah. What else? What else would you put in there? Are we saying just strength or are we saying like all of the drills, all of the wanna, things that we go through in the combine? I want to say all of the drills. What is the most predictive of success in the NFL in your mind? Um, or what's not in there outside of hand cleans that you would put in there? Um. I was talking with Colin Thompson about this actually the other day. Love that guy. The Wonderlick store, the Wonderlick score is extremely overrated. I think you need to do language tests. You need to test people on like obscure languages and how fast they can recognize it. Cause I think that's how you communicate a playbook. That's how you learn a playbook. That's how it, it's a different language. That's what it is. So I say, get, get rid of the Wonderlick score, create a fake language every single year that guys have to interpret or translate. I feel like that's going to help. Okay, I remembered my college coach teaching something this way. That's what it means in this new playbook. Like that's it's language. It's it's translation. So that would be my other big one. That's that's an awesome idea and totally out of the box. That that's that'll never happen. But I think it would be one of the most predictive scores of um, in football intelligence, quote unquote. Yeah. Why, why do you think you went undrafted? Um. Well. I, I went through that entire pre-draft process and I did not look the best in underwear Olympics. Like I'm not, I don't look like a, a professional athlete, quote unquote. So um, I would say it was just, you know, a combination of opportunities missed with uh, probably not being the best um, pre-draft process. I did the best I could. I, I set a whole lot of goals out. I accomplished improving in a lot of those areas, but at the end of the day, I don't look like I can just freaking 
run over a middle linebacker and bench the house or run a four, four. Like I don't have any of that. I just play football. So if the season ended and we had the draft the very next day, I think I would have had a better chance at getting mm-hmm. picked, but um, yeah, combine wasn't, wasn't my forte. It's, it's crazy that they're, they're not revamping it. And it's crazy that such a massive percentage of the league is undrafted, right? They're, they're obviously testing for the wrong things. Uh, I've, I've spoken to Colin about this. I think about it like in my professional on the professional side is how do I test for who's going to be an outstanding sports PT that I can, you know, add to, to what I got going on. And it's like trying to drill that down. It's crazy that it had, they haven't changed what they ask you in their pre um, like their pre-interview or their interview before the draft. Yeah. A bunch of different draft questions. Um, I got a lot of, I got a lot of wrestling questions. I got a lot of, um, football IQ questions. There was a lot. There was one time I sat down with another fullback that was projected to get drafted. We sat with the entire staff and they asked us both the same question and we had to answer it back to back. What? That's funny. It was was unbelievable. I went through that that in grad school. Yeah. What do you say? That guy takes your answer. What do you say? (laughs) It's like, okay, that was a great answer. Uh, Just to add on that, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? You have all these like cliches, but it was this whole like, do you be too competitive? Do you throw somebody else under the bus? Do you just give your best answer? And it's like this whole mind game that was was going on. So, um, safe to say, I was not drafted by that team um, <laughs> because I didn't get drafted by any team. But um, no, I, I felt like any answer that I tried to give throughout the whole pre-draft, I just tried to be myself because I wasn't going to give some BS answer that I knew coaches would like to hear. Like, if I'm going to show up, I'm going to be myself and. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, um, I wasn't meant to be there. Yeah. Uh, that that takes a lot of confidence to, to do that. It was, it's probably another reason why I didn't get picked was I, I might've been a little too honest with uh, some of those answers. I, I remember one of the questions was like, what's your first thing you do after spring ball? If spring ball just ends. What's, what's your first day after? I'm like, bro, I'm, probably going to eat some wings, call my dad up, play some golf with the boys. Like, I don't know. It's probably good weather in Madison. And obviously they're looking for the answer of like, Oh, I'm going to study the playbook and get ready for fall camp. And it's like, nobody's doing that, man. Like, but that's the answer they want to hear. And that's, that wasn't the answer I gave because honestly, like I'm going to be with the guys, I'm going to be hanging out with my boys. And that's, that was something that made football so special for me. That's why I love playing ball. Like you, you love spending time with the guys that you um, play with on and off the field. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Okay, so undrafted, you get into the league, and now you'll see it on like your your byline for this podcast. You're a captain of the Miami Dolphins. Why are you a captain of the Miami Dolphins? I think it's the little things. I think it's being yourself. I think it's being accountable to the people around you and caring about them. I think that all of that adds value. And it might not be an overnight thing, but the more time you play, the more time you spend around other guys, I think they see that and they feel it. So in my play style and how I approach things and how I lead is like individual conversations. I'm not going to say what's up to you in the hallway and just keep it moving. Like I'm going to ask how your family's doing and continue conversations from the past. And I think all of those little things just add up to a culture that you're serving the people that you're playing with and leading. And that's how my leadership style is. And I was pretty surprised to get, you know, voted as a team captain this year, but man, it was like the biggest honor ever. Like, it's so cool. That's that's awesome. It obviously means a ton to you. Um, okay, let's shoot to our lightning round. I want 
quick answers. Um, don't think too much. You're such a thinker, Alec. Yeah, yeah. Right. Clear. Ready? Back for this one. Ready? If you could only live in one place for the rest of your life, is it Vegas or Miami? Miami. Why? I like the weather down here, man. Okay. Still, winter time right now? You kidding me? You're asking me in November, bro. Like it's 80 and just beautiful every single day. Damn you. I was just down there and you're not wrong. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. Um, biggest misconception about being in the NFL? Uh, I mean, body, like body style. Like you look at me, I'm the biggest misconception yet. Like I look like I should be a coach on the sideline. So I think that's a big one. Love that. Is the NFL more ballers or is it more office space? More office space. Dude, that's the biggest misconception, right? It, because it I, I, especially playing for the Dolphins and Vegas, I'm picturing Alec Ingold at the most amazing clubs in the world with lines out the door just to meet out. It's not like that. No, not at all. I, and like, if you think it's like that, then that's why you're not going to be in the league very long. Like you, that's to, why I'm not in the be, league. That's why I'm be not a veteran league. for a long time. You got to, it's, it's a job and you got to treat it as such. I love that. I was, um, one of the first NFL guys I ever worked with was a guy named Jeremy Zutal. He was a center for the Ravens and I was trying to like schedule his next appointment. I said, uh, Oh, like, are you free tomorrow at whatever time? He's like, no, nah, I got to go to work. I'm like, what? What <laughs> work? You're, dude, you're in the NFL. He's like, yeah, that's my job. And this <laughs> dude would literally walk into the facility, like carrying a briefcase, like it's his goddamn job. And that to me was, was massive. We talked about Mike Burton. That guy won't walk into a facility without his shirt tucked in because mm. he's going to work. Um, and, and I think there, there's a lot of power there. And I don't think that's, um, that is uh, the overarching thought. So I think that's a big misconception. Okay, let me ask you this. Um, where would you rather have a beer? Bratz, Lucky's, or W? <laughs> what? So just, I ask everyone that. Bratz, W, or Lucky's? Yeah. Uh, w is W is my spot in college, so I want to go your, W. Is your jersey in there? <laughs> no. No, I, you, hey, you got to be, you got to be a campus legend to be honored by that. Um. There's a few up in the, the college club, but th those are mostly hockey guys. So, Yeah, I bet. Okay, Spotted Cow or Bush Light? Spotted Cow, no doubt. Oh, good. That's, a, that's the right answer. Um, let me ask you this. Um, what's the best bakery in Miami? The ladies' bakery down, down the street here is, is outstanding. Um, but you go to – dude, you can go to any Cuban Cortado spot. Yeah, I mean, oh. it's – you can throw a baseball and hit seven amazing bakeries out here. It's just, it is what it is. It is what it, have you been to Zach the Baker? I haven't, no, but I've heard about it and it's unbelievable. It's, like everyone talks about it like it walks on water. It's nuts. That's an amazing description because it's kosher. And for, for a Jewish guy like me to be able to walk into Zach the Baker, it's a goddamn dream. But I love, <laughs> I, but I love that you went with, uh, the Jesus reference. Um, okay. Cairo or PT? Uh, I'll go PT. Are you just saying that? I'm not just saying that. No, <laughs> I'm not. Okay. Do you take creatine? Um, not in season. No, I can't okay. handle all that sweat loss and all that stuff. So off season for sure. 
Okay, what's in your supplement bag? Uh, beta alanine, uh, BCAAs, um, cherry juice, the basics, I think. Um, a lot of caffeine. <laughs> Are you a coffee guy? I'm a coffee guy and I'm a fast twitch guy. So I'm I'm, I'm doubling down on the caffeine. Man. I but, love that. Uh, yeah, that's that's about all I take for sure. And how are you drinking your coffee? Uh, so victory lattes on Mondays after wins. Love that. And then, mm -hmm. you know, straight black if we lose. So at this, I'm just, I take it like a man, try and grow some hair in my chest and get tougher. And just, it's the little things, right? It's just, it's just coffee, man. You're such a fullback. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Um, so much information. So, so much like behind the curtain stuff. You make this freaking easy. So tell all of my sports PT listenership how they can become as big of a fan of Alec Gold as Alec and Gold as I am. And where can we find you on Instagram? How are we listening to you? You got like 17 podcasts. Tell us all about you. Yeah. So I would say the big thing is just go to alecandgold.com. That's where I'm trying to create where everything can live there. Social media, um, following along with the football stuff. Got a book called The Seven Crucibles I wrote during my ACL process. If you're looking to connect with athletes in their mind space, um, that's a good one. It'll be also on the website as well as our um, our little podcast we got called uh, Forged in Gold. Best play on words I could ever think of. Um, did you come up with that? No, no, the producer did. Definitely out of my wheelhouse. But no, I think it all lives there at alecandgold.com. Okay. You, you make it super easy. Thanks for your time, Alec. Thanks for the conversation. Um, I'm looking forward to staying in touch. You're great, man. I love it. Appreciate it.